Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No them. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaign. Oh, wait. Unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us. A lot to talk about this week. The outrageous abuse of General Flynn has been exposed for all to see this week. I'll be talking about that. We have a new lawsuit against California over its illegal illegal payments for illegal aliens. Plus, we have a new lawsuit against Pennsylvania over the dirty voting rolls in that state. And we have new documents, again, on the General Flynn case that you're going to want to hear about uh, that raise some interesting questions uh, about issues tied to the leaks targeting General Flynn. So I'll start off with the big news about General Flynn. Now, General Flynn, as you recall, was the national security advisor for President Trump, who was railroaded uh, into a plea agreement uh, where he pled guilty to lying when, in fact, he didn't lie. Uh, It's pretty clear. Uh, It was the beginning of the Trump administration and James Comey, as he's admitted on tape doing, knowingly uh, bypassed the rules and the processes to send FBI agents uh, to interview uh, General Flynn. And we since have found out that the FBI agents who interviewed him found him to be uh, truthful. He did not believe he was lying. They were asking him about conversations he had with the Russian ambassador while uh, he was um, still outside the government, but working for the president-elect of the United States. He was the incoming national security advisor. And the pretext for going into the interview was that they were concerned about his violations of the Logan Act, which was which is just completely bunk. I mean, the idea that you would target the staff of an incoming president in communication uh, with foreign leaders and representatives under the Logan Act, which prohibits private actors from conducting their own foreign policy, is absolutely ludicrous. And the fact that they used it should tell you that there was a corrupt motive for the investigation. And of course, the investigation in General Flynn had begun in 2000, at least in 2016, maybe earlier, because it was all part of this fraudulent crossfire hurricane operation that allegedly began uh, in the summer of 2016. But the targets they quickly focused in on were George Papadopoulos, Carter Page, and General Flynn. So the spy operation began almost immediately upon President Trump gaining the Republican nomination. And if you think that's a coincidence, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you. Now, uh, they continued to uh, spy on Flynn. Uh, They were sending FBI agents to spy on Flynn. Uh, And who knows what else? We asked for whether there were any FISA warrants targeting Flynn. And we got a response from the government that said they can't confirm or deny there was a a FISA warrant targeting Flynn. So uh, long story short, and it is a long story, uh, the Mueller operation came in, took the conclusion that the FBI had made that it didn't lie, he didn't lie, and turned it into, well, he did lie. And uh, they forced him into a plea agreement. And he uh, finally got himself new counsel, Sidney Powell, who's been an excellent lawyer. 
And Sydney is excellent, not because, I mean, she obviously has the legal acumen, but because she understands the depravity and the depths of the corruption at the uh, senior levels of the Justice Department and the FBI. And so she went to town and she, uh, Gerald Flynn withdrew his plea or seeking court approval to withdraw her, his plea. And uh, Sidney just pushed, pushed and pushed for a full disclosure of the documents required under law that the government's supposed to make uh, to someone like General Flynn and defend it in a criminal case. And finally, uh, just uh, Attorney General Barr, sensing presumably something was off, had a third party look at these documents to see if they had turned over everything they were supposed to turn over. And a third party was a U.S. attorney, I think. I think he's in Kentucky. And so the U.S. attorney, so they disclosed new documents that they should have turned over to, uh, to General Flynn's legal team. And the documents are blockbuster. They're blockbuster. And uh, they include emails between Carter Page and, uh, excuse me, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok and other uh, FBI officials about whether to give Mr. Uh, General Flynn his warning that, you know, the sort of constitutional warning you get, the legal warning you get that you can't lie to an FBI agent. Of course, they're required to do that. It's called the thousand one warning. And the language in the emails is, oh, well, maybe you can just slip it in. In fact, they never did give him the warning, which is another violation of the rules in the law. And the other documents are handwritten notes. Uh, it's been reported that they're by Bill Priestip, who is uh, Strzok's immediate supervisor. And he's essentially writing, what is it we want to do here? Do we want him to admit to doing something wrong? Because he allegedly lied about what he talked to the Russians about, as opposed to misremembering or not recalling exactly what he talked to the Russians about. So do we want it? So the, the, the notes read, do we want him to admit to wrongdoing? Do we show him the evidence we have, which is what we normally do? Or do we want to get him fired and prosecuted? We know the path they took to get him fired and prosecuted. And the fact that they had that word, do we want to get him fired, shows you there was no legitimate basis to question him. It was a political basis. It was a policy basis to question him. The case should be thrown out. They had no legitimate, legitimate basis to go over there and secretly, skullduggerously, try to entrap General Flynn, which is, which is what, in fact, they did. Another set of documents has come out. So there were two sets of documents that had been released. The first set was uh, those notes I told you about, those emails I told you about. Emails, by the way, which should have been given the Judicial Watch and which we've been fighting for for two years now. You may recall, I talk about, we've been getting document tranche after document tranche of uh, struck page emails. The reason we're getting them uh, one after the other is because they're turning over to them, turning them over to us monthly, the FBI is. They're only reviewing, though, 500 pages a month. And at this point, we won't get the full batch until late next year after this, either Trump is elected or unelected. Can you imagine? They've got 8,000 page struck emails they're sitting on right now. 
And those emails that they turned over to um, General Flynn should have been turned over to Ross, frankly, if the FBI was honest, two years ago. They've got 8,000 records they're sitting on, 8,000 pages of records they're sitting on of page-struck communications. What, have they what, what are they waiting for in, in, in terms of turning them over to us? It's inexcusable that the Justice Department and the FBI continue to sit on this material. And I won't even get into the text messages. They, won't, they haven't turned over one text message to us, practically speaking. They're taking the position text messages aren't subject to FOIA. Try using that argument if, a FBI, if, if the FBI subpoenas your record. Oh, no, text messages aren't subject to subpoenas. They're not real records. It's kind of like a post-it note. You can't have it. That's what they're telling us. This has been a cover-up that's been exposed, not only of Trump, I mean, not only of the targeting of Flynn, but the fact is the FBI has had these records and knowingly have covered them up. They know what they did. The agency know what, knew what they did. What's Ray's excuse for not turning them over? Ray being the director of the FBI. It's really outrageous. And then we get a document that they get a, excuse me, uh, Sidney Powell gets a document yesterday or they're able to publicize a document yesterday through the court process that the FBI, despite all the spying I told you about targeting Flynn, despite the abuse of power, the FBI concluded they didn't have a viable case. And that's, the, that's a quote from the document. The memo was, we don't have a viable case. We're going to shut it down. But concurrently in the text messages, Peter Strzok is texting another FBI official whose name they're blanking out and Lisa Page and others saying, we can't shut it down. We're not shutting it down. I'm intervening. Keep it open. And, the seventh, and he's doing it because the seventh floor is involved. The seventh floor is code for the leadership of the FBI, Comey and McCabe at the time. They all were in it. They all were in on it. Comey did it. I hope you've seen the video of Comey boasting about doing an end run around the White House lawyers to get his interview, his entrapment interview of Flynn with the FBI. And there was no good faith basis because they to, to interview him because they wanted to get him fired. I don't know what Judge Sullivan, who's the judge handling the case, is going to do with this. This is material that should have been turned over to the defense team under the judge's standing orders. Other documents that have been released publicly is General Flynn's declaration where he says he regrets agreeing to the plea deal, but he didn't know all the facts behind the corruption targeting him. He would never have agreed, for instance, he says, to the plea deal if he realized that the FBI had concluded he didn't lie during their initial interview. And other, other emails between the government prosecutors and, and Flynn's former attorneys show that uh, the government was very careful to keep out the threat that they were going after, they were going to go after his son. Because that would have had to been disclosed to the court. And they avoided, and they, and they kept it out to avoid disclosure, which the law requires. Because Flynn was being used as a witness. That was part of the plea deal. And so if you're, if you're a defendant and the witness comes in, is a government witness, and part of the plea deal uh, includes cooperation, my understanding of the law is that you're supposed to disclose what, what they got in return for cooperation. And if they got 
a promise not to prosecute a family member like his son, that was supposed to be disclosed. It's disclosable under law, and they were hiding it. They're hiding it. What is going on? And this, of course, was done by the Mueller operation. So you had the corruption at the FBI, DOJ at the top level at the end of the Obama administration, beginning at the, just, beginning at the Trump administration. Remember Sally Yates, the Obama holdover, who was acting attorney general for a time? She was pushing this attack on, on Flynn, too. If you want to know how the, how the coup began, it began with going after Flynn. Because, of course, in the end, it was all about President Trump. So is Judge Sullivan going to do what I think he ought to do, which is dismiss the case and, importantly, institute criminal contempt proceedings against those involved in this corruption and cover-up targeting Flynn? I don't know. Is Attorney General, is Attorney General Barr and his prosecutors going to withdraw the charges based on the prosecutorial misconduct that's been confirmed? And by the way, there are other documents coming, so this could be just the tip of the iceberg. I don't know. But this is the way I think things ought to proceed. And, I, you know, and you can argue one way or another. This is my point of view. I think the president should direct Attorney General Barr to drop the charges against General Flynn. Justice Department reports to the president of the United States. The president of the United States has a positive moral obligation to police the Justice Department on corruption issues. This idea that the Justice Department is independent is constitutionally bunk. We see what an independent Justice Department does. They think they're above the law. They think they don't answer to anyone. The president's got to remind them they answer to the Constitution and the American people. And I know the left will say, oh, the president can't interfere with Justice Department prosecutions. He has a constitutional obligation, though, to uphold the rule of law here. Now, maybe Barr will do it and the president doesn't have to intervene. I suspect the only way to get full justice in this case is to have the president intervene. The other question is, should the president pardon Flynn? I've been of the long, long-standing view that virtually every American caught up in the Mueller operation and subsequent prosecutions like Roger Stone, which is kind of a, uh, uh, which was inherited by the Justice Department from the Mueller operation, should be, par should be pardoned. General Flynn should be pardoned. Stone should be pardoned. Manafort should be pardoned. Other Americans caught up in this should be pardoned as well. Now, I know, Flynn, if he's exonerated, you're going to say, well, maybe he doesn't need pardoning if they drop the charges. That may be true. But if the president loses in November to whoever the nominee is for the Democratic Party or whoever, I don't know, You can bet the left, if they control the Justice Department at least completely again, are going to target Flynn again. And I would pardon him just to be sure. And one could make the argument that pardoning him and detailing the reason why, because he was corruptly prosecuted in an effort to destroy President Trump and the coup, I think that would be educational and salutary. For the public good. And the other question is, what's going to happen with this gang 
that abused their positions in the Justice Department and the FBI and other agencies to target Flynn and other innocent Americans. What's going to happen? Are there going to be prosecutions? I don't know about you. I'm tired of waiting. They've known about this corruption for years. Nothing's been done on the FISA gate corruption. They know the president was illegally spied on. They know Carter Page was illegally spied upon. They know there was no good faith basis to smear him and to abuse the powers entrusted to them by the American people. The Obama administration did. And it goes straight to the top. Obama knew. Biden knew. Susan Rice knew. The whole leadership knew. They all knew what was going on. And the fact there have been no prosecutions and that Flynn is still being prosecuted by this Justice Department is an outrage. So I, you know, I think something might happen over the next week, one way or another. We'll see. I hope Flynn gets off completely, at least before Judge Sullivan's court. But who's responsible for this cover-up? These documents they've been sitting on. They all knew what was going on. The reports are that Ray obstructed the release of these records. And his top deputy did. His top lawyer did. That's true. They should be hauled before court. They should be investigated as well for obstructing justice. I'm serious if that's true. But it's that serious. If a corporate leader was involved or alleged to have been done something like that in terms of hiding or stalling the release of documents that is required by a court, they would be subject to criminal investigation. And that Mueller abused his power, his special counsel team abused their powers to target Flynn like it's been, has been exposed. They ought to be subject to criminal investigation, but I'm not seeing any evidence that's being done. I'm not. Maybe tomorrow they'll start doing a grand jury and everyone will be hauled in. I hope I pray I'm wrong. But in the meantime, Judicial Watch is going to continue to do its litigation because we don't trust the Justice Department. We don't trust the FBI. We don't rely on them. We hope they do the right thing. But we won't be fooled into complacency, nor should you. The FBI is a seriously sick organization in terms of ethics. That's clear. Director Ray has done little, if anything, to clean up the FBI. Attorney General Barr has appointed Durham, but I'm not seeing Durham doing much. I've seen reports, oh, he's hiring other people and, you know, he's targeting Brennan. We'll see. I hope. One thing Durham is supposedly doing is something that Judicial Watch has already been doing, which is investigating the um, what looks to be illegal leaks targeting General Flynn. And uh, General Flynn, uh, around the time that uh, it was January 4th, 2017, was when that uh, when uh, the FBI concluded there was not a viable case. But then Peter Strzok, on behalf of FBI leadership, intervened to keep the case open. There were leaks around that time that precipitated them keeping that case open of uh, the conversation and the transcripts of the conversation that Flynn had with that Russian ambassador. 
which was it, it was obviously classified. So any leaks of that material would have been highly illegal, depending on who did the leaking. And why is it a mystery? We don't know who the leaker is. Now, Sidney Powell alleged that the leaker was the head of the Office of Net Assessment, which is basically the Pentagon's think tank. And, uh, and it's been there for, it'd been run by one gentleman for, I think, 40 years. And he was kind of a legend in the Pentagon, both good and bad. Uh, so this gentleman was a, um, a close friend, these documents show that Judicial Watch has just uncovered thanks to a lawsuit. See, we don't wait for the Justice Department to do an investigation. We do our own investigation. And Powell had separately alleged in a claim, in a, in a filing, that uh, this gentleman, Mr. Baker, is a, um, his name is James Baker. So he's James Baker, the Office of Net Assessment guy, not James Baker, the uh, corrupt uh, uh uh, general counsel for the FBI under Comey. So on November 1st, 2019, uh, Powell's team alleged that Baker is believed to be the person who illegally leaked to Ignatius, who is David Ignatius, Ignatius a Washington Post uh, columnist and reporter, the transcripts of Flynn's December 2016 telephone calls with uh, Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. The Post published Ignatius's account of the calls on January 12th, 2017. Huh, that was just a few days after Strzok was running around the FBI trying to keep Flynn's case open so he'd get questioned about those transcripts. What a, what a, what a, what a terrible group of people they were. Setting in motion a chain of events that led to Flynn's firing in February as National Security Advisor. Now, Durham supposedly is reporting the leak, uh, investigating the leak. So what these documents show is they don't show that Baker did the leak, but they do show that Baker was in regular and constant communications with Ignatius. Uh, we, uh, the records include an exchange, for instance, on February 16th, 2016, a year before the leaks with the subject line Ignatius, in which Baker tells Pentagon colleague Zachary Mears, who was then deputy chief of staff to the Obama's uh, defense secretary, Ashton Carter, that he had, quote, has a long history with David and talks with him regularly. In an email exchange on October 1st, 2018, in a discussion about artificial intelligence, I think Baker is still over at the Pentagon, by the way. Baker tells Ignatius, David, please, as always, our discussions are completely off the record. If any of my observations strike you as worthy of, of mixing or folding into your thinking, that is as usual fine. Ignatius replies, understood, thanks for talking with me. In 2015, Ignatius and Baker had a total of seven email conversations to set up meetings or calls, two simply to complement one another and in one exchange which, which, where Ignatius invited Baker to speak at the Aspen Strategy Group Conference. 2016, they had 10 email exchanges to set up meetings or calls and two to complement each other. 2017, Ignatius had a total of 10 email exchanges to set up meetings. One exchange where Ignatius forwarded one of his articles and one exchange where Ignatius asked Baker for his thoughts on the Iran deal. 
And then in 2018, more recently, Ignatius and Baker had a total of nine email exchanges to set up meetings, four where Ignatius forwarded articles, and one where Ignatius asked Baker for tips on what to say at a quantum computer conference where he was speaking. You know, those of you in the business world, having 10 email communications with someone who's not a family member or a colleague in your office, and then having four or five meetings in a year with that person, that's a pretty darn close professional relationship. And if that person's a reporter, that means you're one of his key sources. There's no doubt about it. So does this prove that Baker was the leaker? No, but it does show that he was a source for Ignatius. These records confirm that Baker was an anonymous source for Ignatius, more important, and again, off the record, and he should be directly questioned about all of his leaking to Ignatius, to the Washington Post. But we have confirmation that there was a secret leaker to the Washington Post here. And now the question is, did he leak this Kisiliak transcript smearing Flynn, who did nothing wrong, by the way, in talking to that ambassador? It's what he was paid to do. This is another reason why Flynn should be pardoned by President Trump. It was his agent, General Flynn, doing his job for the president-elect to talk to foreign leaders They're attacking his presidency and his right to conduct foreign policy. He's got to preserve his constitutional rights and the constitutional abilities of the president of the United States, not only him, but others, to conduct foreign policy without deep staters attacking him or attacking their people by tr trying to make up crimes to put them in jail. I almost turned off the video. I'm so angry. But I'm going to keep on going. There's a lot more to talk about. Well, one of the other threats to our republic is the, the effort to undermine clean elections. And it's often more most direct where you have uh, opposition to voter ID, challenges to voter ID, uh, this vote by mail craziness that's being pushed right now that would upend voter ID in 35 states, result in mass ballot harvesting, which would lead to voter fraud and intimidation and chaos. They want to turn over your elections for the president to the post office. I mean, that's how crazy it is. Of course, they hate the idea of citizenship verification, the very notion that you might do something more than take someone at their word that they're a citizen before allowing them, allowing them to register the voter vote. The left doesn't want that. And they've got dozens of organizations pushing on this issue. Obviously, the Democratic leadership, which is in their back pocket, is, do, is pushing this as well. And why does the left want to undermine clean elections? Because they want elections to be dirty, it looks like to me. They want to be able to steal elections when necessary. And sometimes uh, either purposefully or uh, simply because of bureaucratic incompetence or negligence, they don't keep the voter rolls clean. 
And by keeping the voter rolls clean, I mean following federal law, the National Voter Registration Act, that requires states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. And Judicial Watch has been the leader nationally in enforcing that law. Thankfully, the law allows private actors to enforce the law. Justice Department has zero interest in doing it, even under the Trump administration, they haven't done much. Judicial Watch did the first private lawsuits in Indiana and in Ohio around 2012, 2013. We have this big settlement in California that's resulted in LA County taking, uh, moving forward with the process of removing up to 1.6 million inactive names from the rolls. What do I mean by inactive? They're people who haven't voted in a long time. And you don't vote. There's a process in place which you are uh, states are supposed to follow to clean up the rolls. And that process can include and should include doing something simple like sending you a card. And if you don't respond to the card and don't vote in two election cycles. So let's say I get the card today and I don't vote in this year or in 2022. They can remove me from the rolls. Does that sound controversial to you? Well, the left hates it because dirty voting rolls, in my view, uh, even if these people are so posed inactive, that's a pool of voters that are eligible to vote and still registered to vote and can vote on election day. And if you haven't voted in a long time and they haven't removed your name, you can go and still vote. And I encourage you to do so if that's what you want to do. But if you're inactive, meaning that you used to live in a state and it moved away and they still think you live there. I mean, you can see the recipe for fraud there. So just a few weeks ago, the, or earlier, last, I guess it's now May, so I guess it's last month, we sued North Carolina because uh, North Carolina and several counties in that state had voter, were not doing their job in terms of cleaning up the list. Statewide, our analysis found in the lawsuit, there were around a million names that are on the, on the rolls that arguably shouldn't be there. So that case is proceeding. And right now there's a leftist group trying to intervene to oppose Judicial Watch's efforts to clean up the rolls. So we're not only just taking on the state of North Carolina and those counties that were sued in North Carolina, but now we've got obviously the organized left trying to stop us now. But we're prepared, we're fighting back. And in fact, we're just we're fighting back even harder in the sense we just filed a lawsuit this week in Pennsylvania against Pennsylvania and several counties in Pennsylvania to clean its voter rolls. The counties in Pennsylvania are, for those of you who live there, um, there are three counties, Bucks County, Chester County, and Delaware County. Bucks County has about 475 registrations. They removed a total of eight names under the relevant National Voter Registration Act procedures. Eight names, Chester County, 357,000 registrations, removed only five names under the procedures that we've been highlighting. Delaware County, 403,000 names. They removed four names under those procedures. That tells you they're not doing their job. And the Justice Department is nowhere to be seen in enforcing the law here. And Judicial Watch has to go in, sue Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the three counties there. I was just talking to a reporter today. I guess some politician up there said, oh, we're just suing them because they're Democrats. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't even know who runs the counties. It's the data. The numbers show the names are bad. 
or the lists are bad. Statewide in California, excuse me, in um, in Pennsylvania, or around 800,000 names need to be removed, it looks like. 800,000 names. And under the left's theory of the mail-in ballot craziness, all of them would get ballots in the mail. And who knows what else? So these, these cases are really key uh, to uh, making sure that your elections are cleaner in November. Now, there are other states on our radar screen. Uh, we warned California. We, long, we warned Colorado. Uh, we also warned Virginia. Where the leftist governor down there, the leftist attorney general, excuse me, is trying to negotiate a deal with the ACLU to undermine absentee ballot security. Absentee ballots uh, in Virginia, my understanding is, requires you to have a witness attest to the fact you're commit, you're doing the ballot, you know, basic security check. And the ACLU is pretending that the coronavirus won't allow that to take place. I mean, do you see how they're undermining the security of elections? I don't know what the federal court judge is going to do there, whether they're going to, whether he's going to approve it or not. But this is a this is an this is a battle that state by state, it's nationally. Pelosi's pushing this nationally in Congress, and Judicial Watch is on the front lines. I'm pleased to say, and we're uh, right now we're trying to remove nearly two million names in two states. No one else is doing it. And voters who are living there and ineligible to vote are going to vote. And that's not the issue. The left will tell you, say, we'll hear you say, well, there's a big purge that will suppress people. That's ridiculous. Your name is only removed if you haven't voted in a long time and you haven't responded. And even if it's removed, you can obviously re-register and vote. Does that make sense to you? And the fact that the left opposes it tells you to me, what their motives are here. So we've got the case moving, um, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, look, we the, sometimes we don't even have to sue to get good results. We sent this warning letter to some counties in Virginia, excuse me, in, in Pennsylvania, and one of the counties we ended up suing, they, uh, according to a news report, let me find it here, um, removed... 60,000 names from the rolls. 60,000 names. Alley County County removed, excuse me, 69,000 inactive voters from the rolls. The elections manager told CBS, the local CBS affiliate in Pittsburgh there, I would concede that we are behind on culling our rolls. Culling, C-U-L-L-I-N-G. And that this had been put on the back burner. So our letter, without us having to file a lawsuit, educated that county official about his obligations under law, and he took immediate steps as he was allowed to do under law to remove names that they had been sitting on, 69,000 names. So we already, we, we've kind of won in some respects in Pennsylvania already. Another great group is, uh, is pushing the county Allegheny because there are still dead people on the rolls there. So that's another big issue. But this is just great.
I, it's I, I, it's great in two levels. It's great that we're able to just show up, and they're they get so nervous and they're so concerned about our 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 reputation and work that they do what they need to do immediately without our having to sue. And what's also great is that we're willing to sue because no one will pay attention to you in this day and age, especially corrupt government officials, unless you haul them into court. And Judicial Watch is doing it like no one else in not only in the country, in the world is doing it. There's no other as there, there, there's in terms of a government accountability, government watchdog, citizen group. There's nothing like Judicial Watch in the world. Nothing like it. Certainly not in the country. And if it's nothing like us in the country, there's nothing like us in the world. And we do it with your support. I want to thank you again for that. And hopefully I give you more reason to continue your support. <sighs> See, the deep state's not just in Washington. It's all over the place. And by the deep state, I mean this kind of arrogance and contempt for the rule of law. You're seeing this in California in spades with the leftist uh, legislature there uh, just passing laws they know to be unconstitutional and seeing if they can get away with it. Uh, we fought back in California, for instance, when they passed this requirement, knowing that it was unconstitutional to require presidential candidates to disclose their tax returns in order to get on California ballots. In case you haven't noticed, the California, the, uh, the federal constitution lays out the requirements for the president. The states can't add to them. The qualifications for a president, the states can't add to them. And we sued in court and we won. And that's been knocked off. Now, more recently, you had the governor, Gavin Newsom, who has used the coronavirus to advance all sorts of far left causes, including undermining our border security by uh, by diverting $75 million plus in cash payments to illegal aliens. So what did we do? We sued. Judicial Watch filed a lawsuit in the Superior Court of California on behalf of two California taxpayers, Robin Crest and Howard Myers, asking the court to stop the state from expending $75 million in taxpayer funds to provide direct cash assistant, assistance to unlawfully present aliens. Illegal aliens. And then there's another four, nearly $5 million in money that's spent to administer that. And what they're doing is they're spending the money uh, outside the authority of the law. And in California, taxpayers have a right to challenge um, expenditures that are outside the law. And, you know, federal law does provide for these types of cash benefits, believe it or not, however outrageous it may seem to you. But in order for that to happen, the legislature needs to follow the law and pass a law providing specifically for the benefits. And I'm quoting the law. A state may provide that an alien who is not lawfully present in the United States is eligible for any state or local public benefit only through the enactment of a state law, which affirmatively provides for such eligibility. And of course, our lawsuit allow, alleges that California's legislature has not enacted any law that affirmatively provides that unlawfully prevalent aliens are, are uh, eligible for that $75 million of money. 
Now, that would be terrible policy if it was passed, but at least there'd be some accountability. And it would presumably at least follow federal law. I don't know if it would even technically be illegal. That would be require a deeper dive. But we now know what Newsom is doing is outrageously illegal. Illegal aliens who are unlawfully present in the United States, as the law defines it, they shouldn't be here, let alone get taxpayer money. They should go home. If they want to make the United States their home, have at it, but do it the legal way. Get in line like all the, the million plus honest immigrants do to come into the United States. As I say in the release, Governor Newsom has no legal authority on his own to spend taxpayer money with these payments to illegal aliens. And the coronavirus doesn't give politicians an excuse to violate the law. The law of the land still stands. And thankfully, the states are beginning to open up. You know, this is why we got to get the states open up because the longer these lawless shutdowns continue, this, this sort of corrupt behavior is encouraged and will happen more and more. I mean, D.C., here, they're still shut down. You know who the mayor, the leftist mayor of D.C. is appointed to help, quote, reopen D.C.? Susan Rice, who had a column the other day attacking President Trump, which is par for the course, that's fine, and, and, and saying the coronavirus should lead to transformative, transformative change to cure America's basic illnesses or something no, Americans' basic diseases, which were all like social, completely anti-American tirade. And she's been appointed, thanks to the coronavirus, to manage and help reopen D.C. Obama's back. Obama's back, thanks to the coronavirus, through people like Susan Rice. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, yeah, Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden has an ethical problem, has an ethics problem. Joe Biden has a major ethics problem. You know, do you remember like a minute and a half ago, the president of the United States was impeached through a coup attack for daring to ask questions about Joe Biden's corruption, quite apparent corruption with Ukraine and Burisma. And obviously there are these issues with his connections to China through the special sweetheart deal worth Lord knows how much his son Hunter got. Oh, you, uh, you forgot, you haven't forgotten about that, of course, but the major media has, because that's, they're, they're going to cover up for Biden like they did for Hillary Clinton. That's their candidate. And it's not to say you shouldn't vote for or against him. I, you know, it's up to you. But the fact is that corruption scandals for left-wing candidates like Joe Biden are covered up by the major media often. They did it for Hillary Clinton, and um, now they're doing it for Joe Biden. And with Hillary Clinton... Uh, that that cover up and the protection racket for Joe, Hillary Clinton included the targeting of general of of uh, Donald Trump with that illegal spying. Similarly, the protection racket for Biden 
included the targeting of President Trump with the coup attack through the Schiff-Pelosi impeachment. Now you've got this issue with this, uh, this woman, Tara Reid, who is alleged of sexual assault by Joe Biden. Now, as Biden uh, uh, says it didn't happen, and some people have raised questions, including Judicial Watch, about where are the documents. So the University of Delaware supposedly has Joe Biden's documents. Those documents ought to be subject to FOIA, and who knows what we'll do. Well, you might suspect what we'll do, but if, if they're subject to FOIA, you can bet we're asking for them, and we're going to sue for them if we don't get them. And Biden was on TV this week or this morning saying, oh, the Senate, the Senate has them in his archives. Well, those Senate archives, in our view, should be subject to common law right of access to information. It's not speech or debate material. These are personnel files, allegedly. They should be released. And as we've done before, we're prepared to go to court to get some transparency on this next bite of this other Biden scandal. So uh, I know that's something that's probably in the news a lot. You may be wondering what we're doing, but trust us, Judicial Watch, if it's possible, we will sue, well, A, we'll ask for the records and sue for the records if we're denied them. And of course, you know, if it's possible. So I don't want to say the suit's guaranteed, but, you know, we don't make idle threats, generally speaking. So you can, uh, you can bank on that. So I want you to have a great week. Uh, hopefully the country is more open next week than it is today. I hope you remain safe and healthy and God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.